The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. Nice to see everybody tonight. So, uh, many of you already know we've been moving through this series of teachings on the ten beautiful qualities of the heart, or the ten perfections of the heart. And tonight we're starting, I'll start a, a number of talks on this quality of energy or effort. And you might realize already that the Buddha made a big deal about effort. In fact, at times he would even refer to this way, this way of living or way of being as the path of effort. And it's really easy for us to misunderstand because um Effort is a neutral aspect or capacity of the mind. We can use effort in ways that are counterproductive or use effort, make effort that leads to suffering. I mean, we do it all the time. We often, you know, much of the day, we're spending making effort doing things that are the causes for stress and suffering. So just because we're working really hard doesn't mean we're setting emotion happiness. We could be working hard and setting emotion stress for ourselves and others. I mean, right now, many, many people on this planet are working really hard doing things, but they're setting emotion suffering for themselves and others. So it's not enough, it's not about brute force you know, brute force doesn't necessarily lead to happiness. It's the effort that arises out of some understanding. Not perfect. Like if we wait to make effort until we have perfect understanding, then we'll never make effort and we'll never have perfect understanding. But as long as we're making effort to understand the causes of stress and the causes for the release from suffering or stress, then even if we make a mistake, like we think some activity, some action, some engagement is going to lead to freedom or the release of our heart, the happiness of our heart. And so we do it because we think it's going to lead to the release But because we really care about actual happiness, the actual release of the heart, we track. We make the effort not just to do that thing we think is going to lead to release, but we pay attention and we notice that it work. And so even if it didn't work, like we thought, God, I'm going to go out tonight and drink. I'm going to drink and I'm going to, you know, you know, you can just list a few other bad things maybe. I don't need to bring them up, right, in order to be happy. And the worst thing would be to do that and in the morning not to have learned whether that was actually a cause for happiness or whether that was actually a cause for stress. Because even if we don't have a clue what leads to happiness, if we're tracking, if we're making the effort, if we care about Right, So the effort isn't just to be happy, it's really the effort to understand the causes for happiness, the causes for the release of the heart, 
and the causes for what binds the heart up, bounds the heart up. So if that's what our effort is about, then it doesn't matter if we don't know anything because we'll learn very quickly what it is, if we're tracking our experience, what it is that's causing problems. Okay, when I do that, then I'm left like this. This is the natural fruit response or consequence of having been relating in that way or having taken up that activity, that attitude of mind for a while, then I get this. Okay. Before the Buddha died, he talked about, the, of all the things he could have brought up right before he passed away, he brought up effort. The word, the Pali word is apamada, which sometimes gets translated as vigilance or heedfulness, engagement, commitment. So he says, one way it's translated, I declare, indeed practitioners, I declare this to you. It is in the nature of all formations to dissolve. So whatever the mind constructs, whatever meaning, whatever experience, whatever conditions we've set in motion that we've created, it is in the nature of all those formations to dissolve, attain perfection, attain freedom through diligence. And another way it's translated is, now then practitioners, I exhort you, all fabrications are subject to decay. Bring about completion by being heedful or vigilant. Vigilance is actually a nice word. Now, a lot of times we hear that word vigilant and we think, oh, i got to be tight. You know. But the word vigil, you might remember this, vigil is like to, um, like somebody who's dying, you might do a vigil, like you hang out with them in those last days or last hours. And it's not, it's not about being tight, it's about showing up and keep showing up, keep showing up. So the heedfulness, the persistence, the non-negligence, it means basically not going to sleep or not falling into autopilot. There's a famous passage from the Buddhist teachings that's also in the um, collection of verses called the Dhammapada. It's one of the more famous collection of the sayings from the Buddha and, and just general from the teachings at that time. And this is chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2 in the Dhammapada. Vigilance is the path to the deathless. So the word deathless is often used synonymously with Nibbana, Nirvana, or enlightenment or freedom. So vigilance, wakefulness, heedfulness is the path to the deathless, to freedom. Negligence is the path to death. The vigilant do not die. The negligent are as if already dead. And we know this, like when our mind gets absorbed into something, we, in a very real real way, we go dead because we're sort of lost in that particular emotional pattern or cognitive pattern. And there's no self-awareness that, oh, this is that old habit energy that's gotten triggered. No, because we're lost in it. We're absorbed in it. And there's there are really no degrees of freedom 
until something breaks the spell of that strong habit or pattern of the mind. So it's not, I don't think he's exaggerating as if already dead. You know how it is. We can get caught in some drama and it's like, and then when we, when it, we snap out of it, it, we'll look back and we'll go, oh my God, I was lost, I was caught. And we're really vulnerable to acting out, you know, the habit energy, regardless of how destructive it is to ourselves or others, because we're not aware, meaning we're not aware that it's a destructive pattern that's being acted out. So it's just going to sort of act out according to whatever's already been set in motion, you know, that personality trait. We see this often in some of our important relationships, you know, like with a partner or a good friend or a parent. You know, we could have a lot of clarity when we're, we have some distance, like, don't do that again. When you go home for Thanksgiving, you know, don't talk about politics with my dad or don't, you know. But then you're there and it's sort of like a perfect wave. Something comes up, you know, you're listening to the radio together and then the parent says something and all of a sudden you're that rebellious teenager and you can't help yourself. You say it and then they say something and then you're, you're both, often we're both swept away for a while. And that's what the Buddha means by being negligent. So in those moments when we're swept away, there's no awareness that it's like this now, that the being swept away is happening. Right? There's no self-awareness that the mind is caught, that the mind is suffering, that the mind is being reactive or following because of the force of habit, the momentum of habit is being swept along. No awareness of the consequences of what's being said, like what's getting set in motion. That's what karma means. You know, it's a word we use now in the West. But the technical meaning of karma is action. It's action with intention. And so because of the intentionality behind the action, like even a thought is an action, certainly words and then physical deeds, stealing something or being generous, that's an action. So those actions with intention, they set something in motion. And it's not even so much we think, well, I said something to that person, so then something's going to come back at me. But the most important part or place where we where something has been set in motion is the imprint in the heart itself, in the mind itself. So like when I cheat or when I do something really good, like I'm patient or I'm generous or I'm, I see the good in another person, then that, the goodness of that action, that thought, those words or the negativity of those words, those thoughts, those actions, more than what it sets in motion in others around me, it makes an imprint in my own heart. That's why even if nobody catches me when I'm doing something good or doing something bad, the karma still happens because it's not like God or Santa Claus is recording our karma. The recording is immediate, right? It makes an imprint in the mind stream. We know what we just said or thought or did, right? The mind itself has the imprint 
Right? The, the quality of that intention, if it was a self-centered intention, the weight of that self-centeredness, self-centeredness, it literally makes an imprint. It affects the mind stream as it unfolds going forward. And if we do something good, it affects the mind stream as it goes forward. So in this way, karma isn't about somebody judging us, somebody keeping score. It's what the mind does in this moment affects whatever this is, whatever this mind-body thing is here, whatever it does with intention affects what that mind stream, what that mind-body thing is in the next moment, right? Because like I drove back from Madison today, I was teaching in Madison the last three days, Wisconsin, and so I drove back. So, you know, whatever I did today, whatever thoughts I had today, whatever skillful and unskillful actions I had today, right now, this mind stream, this heart-body thing here, is the cumulative result of all of that. Right? I, this mind, this heart, it's expressing what happened before. That's who we are. Like, if you want to know who you were in the past, like, were you Cleopatra or Mark Anthony or, you know, somebody terrible, somebody good? Well, what we know with certainty that whoever, whatever I was, this is the result of that. You know, this is what's left. Like, whatever feeling, whatever dispositions that are here, imprinted in this mind, habit energies, where else would they have come from if not the past? So like in Buddhist tradition, we say, if you want to know the past, take a look at what's showing up in this moment. The kind of qualities of mind, the habits of mind, qualities of the body. Because whatever this is, it has to be the lawful arising out of whatever was before. This is it. Not to be judgmental, it's just a simple fact. I'm not, you know, saying, oh, I must be bad because I have bad conditions now. I must have been really good in the past because I have good conditions now. But we do know when we observe that things are lawful. And this really inspires energy when we realize then if we want to know what we're setting in motion in the future, it's not so much the way it is now tells us what the future is going to be like, but how the mind right now is relating to what's showing up. So maybe a lot of defensiveness is showing up. So if I just act that defensiveness out blindly, unaware, take it personally, act it out as if I have every right to be defensive, then that not being aware of the defensiveness and just acting it out because it happens to have a lot of momentum that sets in motion the future. If there's some awareness, oh, defensiveness is like this. Oh, this doesn't feel very skillful. Maybe I'll just feel the unpleasantness of the defensiveness and do my best to abandon the intention to say something out of that view, that attitude of defensiveness. Not act it out. But just know that it's like this. So I'm not repressing it. I'm not afraid of it. But I'm not seeing, though, that emotional quality as something that would be useful to act out. Well, then, 
that clarity, that resoluteness, that fearlessness, that understanding, you know, like what's skillful, what's not skillful, that then gets set in motion in the future. The mind stream in the future will benefit. So, this is actually the function of energy or effort. It really arises out of, there's no right effort. Like I said, effort is neutral. We can do effort that sets emotion, not so good results, and we can do make effort, be persistent, be engaged, committed in ways that set emotion, good results. But in order to set emotion something positive, we have to have a few insights, which we all have to some degree, but these insights have to mature to some degree. First of all, we have to have the understanding, the intuition, the insight that whatever this is, this life is, it's lawful. There's something lawful about what's playing out here. Because otherwise, the tendency of the mind is to fall into states of helplessness. Like, I'm not in control. I suffer because my wife is this way or my job is this way or my health is this way. So we externalize the causes for happiness and suffering. And then we can justify this self-attitude. Why bother? So when we understand that it's a lawful universe, and then part of that, the lawfulness we understand is one of the real potent ingredients to the lawful unfolding of how this is, this experience as a human being, is how my mind is relating right now. In fact, more than any ingredient in terms of how things unfold is how the mind is relating right now. This is really the center point of the Buddhist teaching. Right? He, he, his set of teachings, his way that he taught it's a wisdom way or based on understanding. All the work we do, all the effort we make is about transforming how the mind relates. Because as it turns out, happiness, or they say like in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they sometimes say everything rests on the tip of motivation. Or you could say everything rests on the tip of intention. An intention or motivation is just another way of saying how the mind is relating to the present moment. So instead of complaining about the present moment or being unaware of the present moment, right? those are two ways to relate to the present moment which do not set emotion happiness. Being unaware of it, like unaware that my attitude is like this. It's so easy to go through the day and be completely unaware that we have an attitude. Whatever it is, it might be a skillful attitude, it might be a negative, negative attitude. So it doesn't mean we don't have an attitude. It just means there's no awareness and no awareness of whether the attitude is skillful or not. So we create karma, we set in motion future results, consequences, but there's no learning. So we just basically keep doing the same thing getting the same results. And then we're frustrated why nothing seems to change. I mean, we're getting older, but nothing seems to change. So what does the mind need to see? So in order to take a different approach. And the first thing the Buddha would say, 
like to make right effort, the first thing the mind needs to see is that it's a lawful universe and it really matters how the mind relates. That the, the, like, if we understand it's a lawful universe, then the fact of suffering or being stressed and the fact of not being stressed, being happy, light, free, these are lawful arisings. Not sort of random. Not, I'm not being punished. And so, it doesn't matter how much bad karma we've set in motion, because in this moment, we can set in motion something else. We can make an effort. We can be heedful, not negligent. We can do what can be done in this moment. right? And the Buddha, he, he talks about, I think not too long ago, a month or so ago, I, I mentioned this particular discourse. And it's always interesting when the Buddha shares how it was for him before his big insight. So he was just a practitioner probably a little bit, you know, more uh, energized and more skillful than we are, but still just a human being trying to understand his or her mind. And he gives this story about before I was awake, before my deep insight, the thought occurred to me. Maybe I should pay attention to my thoughts. And on one side... Put all the thoughts that have to do with greed, anger, and delusion on one side, and thoughts that are wholesome on the other side. Right? So, not only do we need to see that it's a lawful universe, but we need to begin to discern that in terms of motivation and intention, some intentions cause suffering lead to stress, and other motivations, intentions, qualities lead to release and happiness. And so the skillful intentions are just the opposite. So instead of greed, we have generosity and renunciation, like contentment with what we have. I could be sitting here right now burning with desire for all kinds of things. Or just by paying attention or relating in a different way, I could be cultivating a real sense of appreciation, gratitude. Right? Isn't that true for any one of us? If I put my attention on certain things, like some people have Teslas, you know, and some people have beautiful cabins on Lake Superior, you know, and some people have this and they have that. Some people are young, you know, and healthy. So, we could be bringing certain things to mind and really paying attention to them and like how nice that would be, but I don't have it, in a way that would be very stressful. Or we could be looking at the things that are true, that bring to mind a real sense of contentedness and generosity. And it makes a difference, because like they say, everything rests on the tip of motivation, of intention. So, instead of greed, we could have the intention, the motivation, we'd relate with uh, generosity, not stinginess. Or instead of aversion, we could relate with goodwill. 
right? Just this basic self-compassion. I care about this life. I care about the causes of stress and the causes for happiness because I care about this life. That's a, we can move through the day, even right now, like even while you're listening to the talk, the motivation to stay alert instead of thinking about your next vacation or about what you're going to eat when you go home or what's on TV, the motivation, the strength of mind to stay connected to what's happening in the room, you can feel that coming out of, I care about this life. And I have enough humility that I don't know everything. So whatever I can learn that can support causes for happiness and more skill, more release in life, I'm going to learn it. Right? And it's not like we're trying to get better than someone, like I want to be smarter than other people or wiser. It just like comes out of self-compassion or that basic goodwill. And then as we appreciate that, the rightness of that goodwill, like I care about this life, then that expands to compassion for others because we realize that everybody's in the same pickle. They have a life that they care about in the exact same way that I have a life that I care about. Even little creatures in a... I mean, it's not that much of a stretch when you're getting cobwebs out of the corner of your house or a room in your house and you see, you know, as you're putting the vacuum a little closer or the dust thing a little closer and you see the spider scrambling away, it's not that hard. It's not a real leap for us to understand. That creature wants to be happy and safe in very much the same way that I want to be happy and safe. And it just starts to spread on the highways and in the office and at home with our loved ones. You know, oh, that's a living being. She wants to be happy. You want to be happy. Everybody in this room wants to be happy and safe and protected in the same way that we do. And when we look around, you know, that brings out that tenderness. So that's another way we could relate. And that changes. Like when we relate with compassion and that basic goodwill and that basic generosity and contentedness and capacity to let things be, you know, what we call renunciation, acceptance. When we relate that way, where we experience the causes of happiness in the beginning, I mean, right there in the, in the moment, in the middle and in the end. It's not like we have to wait and do it for, you know, three decades and then we get paid off by the Buddha. Okay, you, you've been good for 30 years. Here's your reward. No, the, the results of wholesome intention is immediate in the same way that if you get angry right now, the weight and the burning and the unpleasantness of that anger, it burns you right now. Not only will it cause problems down the road if you're full of rage right now, but it will also cause problems right now. Your blood pressure will go up. Your mind will get... You know, our minds are not very clear when we're angry. Have you noticed? Or full of lust or full of, you know, denial and delusion. It really affects just being skillful in ordinary things, making our lunch or driving the car or 
whatever it might be that we're doing. So the negative and the positive results are immediate. So if you want to know why there's not, why you don't have energy to make effort, it's the mind lacks this faith energy that, you know, in Buddhism, faith energy isn't this sort of blind belief that if we're good, somebody will take care of us. Faith energy understands it's a lawful universe and it's that the lawfulness hinges on the intention in this mind and this moment. That's what's important. This is the only place right now in terms of the intention, the quality of the intention, the quality of the motivation for whatever I'm doing, this is the only way to affect how things unfold. The way it is now has already been determined by the past, right? I can't change this moment, right? It's already this way. So to be lamenting, I don't want it to be this way, is not a cause for happiness. It's delusion. It's already this way. The conditions of our life, good or bad, they're already this way. The only question is, how is the mind going to relate to this moment? With what intention or motivation? What is it going to set in motion for what comes next? Something that is light and liberating? Something that's heavy and hard to bear? That's the question. And even if we don't really get like the difference between the unwholesome and the wholesome, so this is not a bad list to memorize. So the unwholesome intentions, this is one of the eight limbs of the Eightfold Path that the Buddha taught. So it's a big deal in the models, the teaching models the Buddha used. And it's an easy list to remember. Greed, anger, and delusion, unwholesome roots, the unwholesome intentions. When the mind is acting out one of these three things, then suffering will arise. And you can just check that out. Notice the next time you're angry or greedy or in denial or deluded or have a fixed view. That's all delusion. right? Think you know something so you stop learning. Then you'll notice that the rigidity of the greed or the aversion or the fixed view or the denial hurts and sets emotion more stress. And also reverberates to those around you. So not only do you make things difficult for yourself immediately, directly, but often, unless you're around really wise people, you're suffering, you know, because we're, we kind of uh, have this sympathetic vibration. So if we're around a lot of angry or greedy or deluded people, it's easier for us to be angry, greedy or deluded. And if we're around people who have a lot of contentedness, a lot of goodwill, a lot of compassion, it's a lot easier for us to relate that way in our lives. Right? So, even if you don't care about what you're setting in motion for your own life, you might care about what you're setting in motion for those you live with or your neighbors or the people you work with. Often, it's initially, I mean, it would be nice if we do care about our own life and we need to get there eventually in our spiritual path. But sometimes we've got a lot of emotional baggage. So we start by 
engaging life in a more positive way because we care about others. Like, we don't want to create a lot of bad vibration for our cat. So we're going to, you know, stop fuming anger and greed and denial when we're around our cat. We're going to practice being content and self-compassionate and compassionate for the cat and create this beautiful psychic field. And we'll be the first person to benefit, but the cat will probably benefit too. And then it can't stop. You know, if you have that good vibe there with your cat, you know, then you, it will be hard to change when you walk out the door. And then your neighbors and the people on the streets with you when you're driving or riding your bike and on and on like that. So the definition of uh, wisdom, they talk about the character, uh, not wisdom, but uh, energy. The characteristic is this uh, ability, like energy or effort has the ability to set something in motion. So right effort means that we know how to set in motion something that's skillful. So it's going to be coming from one of these three attitudes, the attitude of letting go, renunciation, or generosity, right? So there are different ways to talk about that particular attitude. But it's the opposite of stinginess. And then there's the attitude of basic goodwill. I care about this life. Just a a reverence for this life. And this comes from not feeling helpless. Like, we stop caring about this life when we don't think there's anything we can do to affect, to sort of move things in a positive direction. But as long as we get have even just a sliver that it's a lawful universe and that things are at play right now, then we'll feel this basic goodwill. And then when that <coughs> opens up to include others, we call it compassion. That we feel this responsibility, not just for our own life, but taking care of all beings. Why not? Why wouldn't we want to live in a way, to relate in a way that sets in motion life or things that support the well-being of others. So, <clears throat> this, um, it's like an empowerment. You know, the energy is an empowering thing in the same way that it's very depressing when we can't think of anything to commit to, to engage with, to do. Now, the funny thing about this energy effort part of the mind is often the uh, diluted attitude will be, I can't make effort because I don't have any energy. And the, the way to go beyond that is to, to understand that actually it's effort that leads to energy. The way we get energized is we do something. Now, the key is to know that there's always something to do. So, like, memorize that phrase. You may not know what it is, but even if you're just taking it on faith from what the Buddha said, right? It's a lawful universe. There's always something to do, meaning in this moment, right? Because there's always this moment. And how the mind is related, relating in this moment sets in motion something. So, you can't help but have a moment and you can't help 
that's setting, it's setting something in motion. We're all setting something in motion right now, and it all has to do with the quality of the motivation in our mind right now. So, then we make the effort because we have some faith that how I'm relating right now matters. And I'm going to pay attention to see whether I'm getting good results from how I'm showing up in this moment. And if I'm not, then we take a look again. Well, maybe I'm not relating in a skillful way. I thought I was relating in a skillful way, but things, it seemed rational to be complaining. It seemed rational to be thinking about how to get revenge. It seemed rational to be fantasizing about all the things I want, and if I only could get them, I'd be happy. But now when I check the result of having done that for 10 minutes, I notice my heart and mind is all bound up. I don't feel good. Okay. I guess that intention to fantasize about all the stuff I want, it seemed juicy. It seemed like it would set in motion something good, but it actually didn't. So are we going to trust our experience or not? So even if we are mistaken, the faith we have isn't that we know how to set in motion happiness. The faith is how the mind is relating right now matters. Do you see the difference? So it's okay not to know. All we really know is, I think it matters how my mind is relating. So I'll just watch how the mind is relating and see if what gets set in motion was related to how I was relating. Oh yeah, I'm all tight. And then we look back. Oh yeah, I was relating this way and I, and we intuit the link, the correlation between the attitude of greed and the weight or the tightness of the mind or the attitude of aversion and the contraction in the mind and body. We keep making that correlation and we start to feel we, that faith energy like I, I'm getting how this thing works, this thing called happiness and suffering. I'm, and that's where the empowerment, the energy comes from. But first we have to make the effort based on the basic belief or intuition that how the mind's relating matters and I'm going to figure it out. But I can only figure it out if I track my experience. And then we understand why mindfulness is so important. Because there's no learning if we're not tracking experience in a continuous way. So the whole point of meditating and training the mind to come back to the breath, come back to the body, to sustain with the body, to notice the distractions, to let them cease, to feel the body again, to sustain with the body, is so that we can get interested in how the mind is relating, the attitude or the intention or motivation and learning. Was that skillful or not? You know, I go home and I act out my habits of controlling, being controlling with my wife, right? So how many times am I going to do that before the mind actually sees the correlation between controlling and judging and suffering for me and her? Right? How many times am I going to do that before I really see it? See it so clearly that it undermines the, uh, the probability of doing it the next time. 
and the next time, right? We get motivated or, you know, we've had real moments of happiness in our lives. But have we made the, has the mind made the correlation like, how was the mind relating that led to that lightness, that ease, that sense of belonging? What was the mind doing that supported that beautiful feeling that we were able to experience for a while until the mind started to relate in a different way? We miss the connection. So the inspiration, the initial, in Buddhism we call it the launching energy, right? The launching effort. Initially, we don't have that much energy, but we have to make the effort to look at intention in order to be further inspired. Then we have more energy to be a little bit more vigilant, to be a little bit more continuous with our awareness. And then we get better results, so we're even more inspired. And eventually, we say, you know, I'm on fire with the practice. It's like, I don't care what happens, I don't care if somebody disturbs my sit, I'm tracking my experience because I know it's valuable. It's not so different if, you know, when you play those video games where there are certain treasures and monsters behind things, you know, even five-year-olds can be incredibly vigilant. And it's just pretend. It's not real gold you get or treasure you get or real monsters. But even little kids can be amazingly vigilant at those games. But what the Buddha says and what we can directly experience is there's actually real gold. I mean, in terms of real happiness and release. And there are actually real monsters. Like, if I go down a certain habit energy, I can really create hell for myself. You know, I can regurgitate some painful memory, somebody who betrayed me or something like that, and I can spin with it, and then I'll be in a suffering state. I'll literally be in a hell realm for a while. Right? Or I could go down another road. That would be really wonderful, peaceful and loving. And it matters. So if little kids can be vigilant for a made-up game, right? the only thing that keeps us from doing it is we don't believe it matters. So the key, the initial key to get us started is we have to check it out. So even more than that, those last words of the Buddha, the, you know what he said more often than almost anything else? Ehi pasiko. Come and check this out. Don't, you know, you got to try it, then you'll see it actually works. If you actually try tracking your experience, you'll find that you learn something about happiness and suffering. You'll get better at happiness and uh, abandoning suffering. But you have to check it out. If you don't check it out, if you spend your whole day, your whole life studying Buddhism, but not actually doing the practice, you might learn a lot in an intellectual level, but you'll miss this opportunity. So, in the next, we'll come back to this for at least two more weeks, maybe three weeks, but just in the next week, keep in mind the three wholesome or three unwholesome and the three wholesome intentions. Greed, anger, and delusion and see how they correlate to things getting tight for you and anybody around you. And non-greed, so contentedness, generosity, acceptance, allowing, and non-aversion, goodwill. And then 
the expansion of that goodwill to compassion. And really all of that is the same as non-delusion. So those are the wholesome intentions, right? And just notice, see if you can track what sets emotion release, what sets emotion stress. Anyway, we have about 10 minutes. It'd be nice to hear from you or any questions you have about the talk tonight. What comes to mind? We have the microphone. You can point it right at your mouth if you have a question or a comment to share with the group. So what comes to mind? What have you been learning about intention? When you're in that place um, of panic, that anxiety, you're all choked up, um, how do you break that limb? How do you um, step away from that? How do you remind yourself when you can't remember anything? Yeah. Well, just to kind of put it in the context of the talk tonight, so there's a lot of anxiety. And if you remember anything, remember it's a lawful universe. And how I relate to the way it is, which is anxiousness, right? How I relate to the anxiousness matters. So you'll start, as soon as you realize that, you'll notice the difference between hating the anxiety wanting to get rid of the anxiety, feeling betrayed by the anxiety, thinking it's not fair that I'm anxious, you'll notice that is not relating skillfully. That sets in motion more anxiety, more stress. Caring about the anxiety, willing to be fearless with how unpleasant the anxiety is, being patient with the anxiety, appreciating how difficult it is for other beings who are anxious, all of that way of relating to it is wholesome. You'll notice that things get softer, lighter, and more free when you relate to the anxiety. So the, the ignorance would be, i got to get rid of this anxiety in order to be happy. But getting rid of things is a cause for stress, not the cause for happiness. It seems rational to hate the anxiety, to want to get rid of it, but when we actually look, we see hating the anxiety, wanting to get rid of it, thinking it's bad, is the cause for stress. So that's so the alternative will be, okay, there's anxiety. It's really unpleasant. It feels like this. Well, can this be okay? It's not like I want to be anxious. But given what's come from the past, this is what's showing up right now. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to say, yes, this is how it is right now. And I'm not going to relate to this anxiety in a way that perpetuates it or perpetuates other contracted states. So even if I don't know how to relate to the anxiety, I'll practice not rejecting it because it's like this. And even if I have to turn my attention away from it, if it's too intense, too overwhelming, it's not out of aversion. It can be out of compassion like, Honey, this is too intense. I can't look at this right now. So I'm going to go take a walk. I'm going to go make a cup of tea, call a friend, take a shower. But I'm doing that out of compassion. And someday, when I'm more stable, when I have more resolve, I'm going to just be right in the middle of this yucky feeling of anxiety and see if I can relate to it with letting go and acceptance. Non-greed, non-aversion, with goodwill and compassion. Yeah. But it, we have to be patient because being impatient with it 
What does that set in motion? More stress. Being patient with it helps things to relax. Yeah. I mean, just imagine the mind that can say yes to anxiety, especially if it's intense, like you described a panic attack. That's not a small thing. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom and liberation in a mind that knows how to say yes, it's like this. Panic attack is like this. That's how we go beyond panic attacks, is we see what's happening and we don't feed it by running from it. We feel it. We relax with it. We are willing to take what comes. But no matter what, we're not going to run from it because it just makes it worse. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Other thoughts that come to mind? There are times, you know, um, people advise us to really be vigilant in the common sense, right? If you don't strive, if you don't swim against the stream hard, then something bad's going to happen to you. And they can point to examples like that, too. And especially for people who maybe live in a third world country or in a war zone, it's extremely intense for survival or decent life. Um, how do you combat that, you know, kind of as a, the other side of the, you know, entren- entrenchment of, you know, the opposite of letting go and be in the middle of the relaxed mode? Yeah. It's uh, in, if we have really bad circumstances or in a state of being oppressed, in a war zone, a state ex- experience of being betrayed, then it triggers all of our animal nature, not our sort of higher possibility. And so we're going to have this stress response, you know, the fight or flight response. And you're right, when that gets triggered, it's not easy to be skillful. But there are still examples of people being in really terrible environments, but they don't surrender to the you know, bite or be bitten, you know, or this sort of fighting for their life. Because we're not going to come out of this life, we're not going to be able to live this life and make it. We all die. Everything we have is taken. So it's not just about surviving. And especially, this one of the nice things about Buddhist cosmology, not to believe in it, but to keep an open mind about multiple lifetimes, rebirth, right? One of the nice things about just having an open mind about this is then what we're interested in is setting something in motion. And we take a very vast view, like imagining many lifetimes. So it doesn't matter if we don't survive. What matters is what we set in motion. Like, I'm not going to resort to anger and ill will, even if that might help me stay alive. Now, it doesn't mean you can't run for your life or stand up for yourself. It just means you don't do it with anger. There's a funny story some of you might have heard. Sharon Salzberg is one of the senior teachers in this Western version of Theravada Buddhism. And she practiced a lot in India at Bodh Gaya, which is the birthplace of the Buddha, and uh, not the birthplace, but the place of his enlightenment. And there was a Burmese uh, 
um, resting house for the pilgrims that a lot of Westerners practiced that back in the late 60s and early 70s. And um, she was someplace in India after practicing there for a number of months. And uh, while she was taking a rickshaw somewhere, somebody grabbed her purse. And and actually, I think they grabbed her and they were trying to pull her off of the rickshaw. And uh, when she got back to Bodh Gaya, she told Manindaji, her teacher, about this. And uh, Manindaji said to her, Oh, Sharon, you should have taken your umbrella and beaten that person with all the loving kindness in your heart. (laughs) Right? Because it is possible to really care about your life in that moment. And that might be the skillful things to do. You don't need to hate somebody to take care of yourself. You can really want to take care of yourself. And even in that moment of beating that person to get free, you could understand that that person's just doing what they're doing. You know, they've got their own causes and conditions, their own ignorance that somehow leads them to think that stealing this person or raping this person is going to actually lead to happiness in any real lasting way. I mean, if anything, we could have a lot of compassion. But that doesn't mean we're going to let the person do it, right? You can fight to the nth degree, but you don't have to believe that somebody's evil when you're fighting them. Because we do get swept away in terrible situations sometimes where we don't know how to be skillful. Like going back to the spider situation, and then we'll have to end here. But, you know, sometimes I, I get a little negligent when I'm vacuuming. And, cause I just want to get done. And I kind of, in a semi-conscious way, have this attitude, well, they should get out of the way. Can't they hear the vacuum cleaner? And, and then I'll notice kind of that, the roughness and callousness and insensitivity of that attitude. And it doesn't feel good. You know? And I'm, it is, it's a terrible thing to kind of be on a schedule and, but I don't have to be cleaning the house in that rough way. I still may end up causing harm. I mean, they can get really small. And it, there's no way, even let alone doing gardening, there's no way to vacuum your house without causing some harm. There's just no way. There's just so many little creatures. Or even in our, on our skin, you can, we got bacteria all over. I mean, so forget the idea that we're going to do it right. It's really about the motivation. Do we, are we living with an attitude it doesn't matter so we can be callous? Or are we living with the attitude it does matter? So I'm going to be present. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to care. I'm going to care even though I can't get away with not harming. But I'm still going to care. There's so many examples of these messy places where we have to uh, we have to engage even when we don't know what we're doing or we don't know how to be skillful, and all we can do is trust that our intention isn't to harm ourselves or others, and then we keep that intention not to harm keeps us tracking our experience so that maybe we'll learn a little bit more about how to be skillful or avoid unskillfulness. Anyway, let's take just a few breaths and let go of the words. 
appreciate the silence for a few seconds. Set the intention to learn something about right effort over the next few weeks. And thanks again, everyone, for coming. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.